This show is pre-recorded and furnished by Frasier Productions. This is The Deciders with Renee Frazier. Welcome to The Deciders. I am Renee Frazier, the founder and CEO of Frazier Communications. We're the leading woman-owned and woman-led advertising and communications firm here in Southern California. We specialize in changing behaviors to grow brands and positively impact society in both the private and the public sectors. Many of you know our work, Talk, Read, Sing. It changes everything. The statewide campaign sponsors her first five California. But on the show, The Deciders, we feature leaders in their fields and change agents in their communities, asking people to share their stories, their information, and also talk a little bit about the decisions they make every day. We've been doing a series of shows about aging and how important it is to pay attention to the aging population, both from a business perspective and from a personal perspective. I think many of us have experienced the impact of Alzheimer's disease on individuals and family members. And if this disease has impacted your family, my heart goes out to you. I hope you know where to go for help and support. But if you don't, listen today because our guest is Susan Howland. She's a gerontologist and the program director at the Alzheimer's Association, California Southland chapter. And Susan's worked in the field of aging and Alzheimer's for over 25 years. She's had experience in her own personal life with Alzheimer's and has been with the organization for many years. She's got many national awards. She has a master's degree in gerontology from USC. I have to say that I have a master's in psychology and a PhD from USC, and I took a number of classes in gerontology. I'm delighted to have Susan on the show. Susan, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Let's start by talking a little bit about the scale of the Alzheimer's Association, the number of branches, uh, the helpline. Can you Fill us in on that. Certainly. So the Alzheimer's Association is a national organization, yet we still have boots on the ground with local chapters across the country. So regardless of where anybody is, they have access to local programs, local services, local support. Probably our hallmark program is our telephone helpline, and that's 800-272-3900. Why that's important, it is answered 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and we have access to over 200 languages and dialects. Wow. And that could be anything from, I have a quick question, to I'm overwhelmed and don't know what to do. So feedback, help, guidance, right? People who have uh, family members who are suffering. It's great. I think it's important for people to know, and we'll talk more about that as we move on. Let's talk about the ways you can prevent Alzheimer's in your life. So the research is still a little bit spotty on how to prevent, but we do know that there's some lifestyle (coughs) choices, habits that individuals can engage in that help to possibly mitigate any sort of environmental or genetic risk factor. First and foremost is exercise. How many of us know that we should exercise? Diet, social engagement, cognitive stimulation, not smoking. It makes sense. Yes. These are all the things to stay healthier. Mm -hmm. I know that in a previous show, we talked with people about the value also, some researchers, about the value of keeping your mind active. And that doesn't mean crossword puzzles necessarily. They talked about learning something new and how plastic the brain really is. Alzheimer's, as I understand it, is detected by tangles. 
and white matter in the brain, right? And you can slow the intensity of those, I believe. So at this point, research is, is still not 100% certain as to how to modify that disease progression. However, if we can stall or slow, that's certainly going to benefit most individuals. Right now, most people develop Alzheimer's disease, those plaques and tangles you mentioned, 20 years before symptoms show. Oh, that's important for people to know. So it could be happening earlier. Another piece of research that we talked about is the idea of getting biomarkers to know mm. if it's already happening in your brain. So you could take medication early, and we know that that's, that's uh, occurring. But I think it's really important uh, to talk about that, meaning it could be developing in your brain and you don't realize it. So eating healthy, exercising, using your brain in new and different ways, these are all ways to, as you said, slow the progression. Ideally, that's what we're hoping for okay. until there's some better effective intervention. How, how um, uh, prevalent is Alzheimer's in the United States? Right now, there are about 5.8 million Americans living with Alzheimer's disease or another type of dementia. And in the very near future, by about 2050, that number is expected to triple. My goodness. I know I saw in the materials it's one in three seniors die with Alzheimer's or another form of dementia. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, unfortunately, it's more women are, that are living with Alzheimer's. Correct. About two-thirds of individuals with Alzheimer's disease are women, and most caregivers are women as well. Yes, I know that uh, one of the reasons I'm doing the show is because so many of my women friends are dealing with and helping caregiving mm -hmm. to a, a relative with Alzheimer's. And at the latter and later part of the show, let's talk about what we can do for them, what your organization does mm -hmm. and what's recommended for them. But in the uh, in the prevention area, as we look at the research that's being done, I understand you folks also fund a great deal of research. Yes, the Alzheimer's Association is the largest nonprofit funder of research in the country, also globally, um, behind the U.S. government and the government of China. Wow, I had no idea. And China's actually looking into this. Interesting. Yes, most definitely. And we fund both local small researchers, you know, seed and speed, mm -hmm. high-risk projects that have a big yield if they pay off. And also the Alzheimer's Association just undertook a large-scale nationwide U.S. pointer study to look at how lifestyle modification might offset cognitive decline. Now, that'll be really important to look at. I know that um, next week you have a big report coming out. Yes. So every year we release facts and figures, and it will be released next week. And that will update everybody on prevalence rates, how it impacts different ethnic communities. And there's always a special report section. Um, this year, it's going to be on the need for more physicians and Stay tuned so you can oh, read great. more next week. Great. March 11th. And that's yes. probably available. It'll be available for sure on your website. Definitely. And let's mention the website again for people. It's alz as in zebra dot org backslash SoCal. S-O-C-A-L. Got it. Great, because you're the SoCal division. And yes. it sounds like you're, you're uh, funding research even here locally at USC, I believe. Yeah, we have uh, funding at USC, UCLA, UC Irvine, um, again, trying to support all efforts to really tackle this disease. And, of course, you know that Maria Shriver is heading up a group about women right, yes. working on Alzheimer's. And then uh, the governor has created a task force yes. around this issue, which, which we're pleased to see. Definitely. So what do you hope what might happen with that task force? What would be your aspirations? I know you can't uh, you know, uh, necessarily promise us anything, but if you were asked your opinion, what would you like to see them 
look at and focus on? I There's a significant need in early recognition and diagnosis. And once individuals have that comfort level, kind of reduce stigma and feel comfortable approaching doctors or long-term health systems, we also need to make sure those health systems and those supportive services are dementia-capable. That's right, that they're educated, caring. And I think you pointed out something which is important, which is stigma. Yes. I, I, You know, being an older person myself, I think one of the things is people don't like to admit if they're showing even signs of dementia. They, you know, they're ubiquitous. I can't find my keys or I can't pull up a name. As we also just know, because you have lots of information stored in your brain, sometimes it's a retrieval problem. Right. But there's a concern about talking about it. Who do you recommend people speak to if they feel they're, they may be uh, 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 showing signs of dementia? I think it's really important to start with that immediate family just to have an initial conversation. Oftentimes, it's not the person experiencing the symptoms, but it might be family friends, co-workers who are starting to notice changes from that person's baseline. So have that initial conversation. And then it's always important just to bring up the issue with a physician who is that primary care physician who can administer screenings just to start establishing a baseline. Baseline, so you can monitor progress, right, yes. or decline, so you can see when the changes are occurring mm -hmm. and be prepared for them. Right. You know, I, I value what you said about talking to your family members about it. I think it's being open about it and willing to talk about it is important and also making them comfortable to give you feedback, right, right. so that uh, uh, it's not an obstacle. I, I mentioned at the outset we do a lot of behavior change campaigns. We do a lot of education and awareness for health issues. And uh, one is uh, a dependency on opioids, right, so, uh, pain prevention meds that can become addictive. And so often adults are worried about talking about their parents or grandparents' usage because they don't want to embarrass them. Right. So taking that stigma away and making it okay and caring to be able to talk about something is, is important. One would think in the case of Alzheimer's and dementia, that would be an acceptable thing. Is there a time period when you think it's best to do that or a signal, a trigger? that When you're actually seeing changes with an individual, again, the sooner the better. When there are cognitive shifts in thinking, memory, behavior, it could be a whole host of reasons. It could be clinical depression. It could be usage of medication mm -hmm. or mismanagement of medication or malnutrition. So the sooner the better. And timely, accurate assessment is really key. I think you're right. I know keeping track of it and monitoring it, uh, it can also be good news in the sense that you can see it hits a steady state, right, mm -hmm. rather than a decline. And then you can look at your behavior, your eating habits, et cetera, and say, okay, I'm going to keep this up, right, to, right. to slow down the process mm -hmm. as we were talking about. Um, let's talk about the caregivers. I believe that uh, uh, there are more than 16 million Americans who are providing unpaid care for people with Alzheimer's and dementia. And the care is valued an enormous amount of money. I know that's mostly women. There was a piece in the New York Times this morning about the amount of money uh, that women's labor would amount to, if you will, around the world. But in the case of Alzheimer's care, it's about $234 billion. That's with a B. Tell me about what your advice is for caregivers and what resources you have. So... The biggest issue with caregivers is a lot of time they don't self-identify as a caregiver. I'm not a caregiver. I'm a wife. I'm uh, a daughter. Uh. I'm a neighbor. I'm a friend. So a lot of times when they're caregiver resources, people say, well, that's not for me. Oh, you know, I'm, I, I, it's not that bad yet. Uh. So I think my biggest advice for 
family caregivers is to be able to reach out sooner than later. For instance, with our telephone helpline, what I hear day in and day out is, I wish I had called three years ago. Oh, wow. I've never heard someone say, you know, I called three years too early. <laughs> but how do you link into information, education, supportive services sooner, which benefits both the person living with Alzheimer's as well as that family caregiver? So let's talk about some of the supportive services, support groups where you could share your anxiety. And sometimes there's a little bit of resentment when somebody takes a lot of your time for caregiving. Yes. So support groups are an incredible way to have peer-to-peer support, get different information, different ideas. We have them both in person brick-and-mortar style, over the phone, as well as online. Mm, That's great. We have education. This is not necessarily a disease, or we don't really know how to be caregivers because we're not trained up. So how do I learn more information? And the better information I have, the more likely I can make better decisions. That's wonderful. And all of these services are at no cost? They're all at no cost. That's pretty amazing. You know, people to talk to, support groups to be part of, educational materials to get even to-do lists and checklists and ways of dealing with the issues? Yes, absolutely. And I think the other point I'd like to make is that we do offer all of our programs and services in English, Spanish, and in other languages as well, which is a huge need in Southern California. Really important. We have so many diverse populations, right? And um, and I think uh, in some cases, older people prefer to speak in, a, in maybe a native language. It may be English language is a second language for them. Right. So it's great to be able to have that. I think the peer support is also important. So you can talk to somebody in a similar situation and, and know that your feelings are not yours alone. Yeah, they understand you. When, you know, when people say that, uh, I wish I'd called earlier, to, to what do you think they're referring? What kinds of service are they getting that if they'd had it earlier, it might have made a big difference in their lives? I think people just continue in their day-to-day life thinking they can do it themselves. You know, no one can provide as good of care as I can. Um, no one can do it as well. I know him best. So I think there's also this hesitancy to let other people in. Right. Also, I think uh, particularly among women, there's a sense of obligation, especially if you're a wife or even a daughter, a sense of this is my job. Right. And I, I love them better and more than anyone else. So therefore, I can do it better. But I will say sometimes that love can actually be a disadvantage. It, you hesitate. You don't want to hurt their feelings. And someone from the outside might be able to be more observant with a fresh set of eyes. Mm-hmm. And also, if you do, say, hire a caregiver, oftentimes it allows your relationship with that person to go back to father-daughter, wife, you know, spouse. So it can help normalize the relationship as well. You're right. You don't have to be, uh, you know, Preparing all the meals and helping with the bathing and things that kind of takes some of the dignity out of the relationship right. sometimes and allows you to have the more uh, what was the previously normal conversation. Right. A new normal, but it's back to a somewhat normal. Normal, right. And and I do, I do have to say that resentment. I have seen that in friends who've had to uh, be a caregiver for a long period of time, and there's no reason to do that. There are resources to help out. There's even respite care in the state of California, right? Absolutely. In the county. Absolutely. So people can have a, a, a for free, the state will pay to have a person come into your home for a couple of hours while you go out and do grocery shopping or get your hair done or a gentleman, if you're you know getting your hair done or playing golf or something or, or going to the grocery store, whatever it may be. I think it's good for people to know there are 
I, most people think they have to pay for it. But in your case, you're, you're also sharing with them what's available for free. Right. Absolutely. And it's sometimes a network of programs and services across the community that will come together and support. So we do help people brainstorm. You know, is there a neighbor? Is there someone in your uh, church who can come together and help support you as well? That's really great. I'm going to make sure that I tell people. Can you give us the uh, helpline one more time? It's 800 272 3900. 3900. You're a, an expert at this the way you slow down and uh, say the number. I appreciate that very much. It's important for people to know that there's uh, free help and there's a, a listening ear. And I like the fact that you're open 24 hours. So it's 11 o'clock at night. And you're feeling particularly frustrated. You can call and somebody will be there to, to listen. Where do you get the people who handle the calls? Are they volunteers or trained? Uh, the people who answer the helpline are trained dementia specialists. Um, I think initially just to answer the phone, you ha- they have over 40 hours of training before they can even touch a phone. Wow. And then if the situation escalates, um, someone's they're suspected abuse, the person is emotionally distraught, significant family dynamics, Mm -hmm. the call then is escalated to a master's level clinician who can work with families and do problem solving and short-term planning. It's really great so that if there are very serious issues, somebody is intervening right away. It's also good for people to know that if you feel you have issues that need a higher level of guidance, that's available to you. Right. And uh, these calls last 40 minutes. These aren't quick. Yes, here's your information. Thanks. Call again. They're in depth. They support that individual until that situation, that short term need is resolved. That's important. That's great. And, and I'm sure people can follow up, right? You can yes. call back again and Absolutely. talk to people. Absolutely. And then joining a support group would be a wonderful way. Are the support groups generally in, uh, you said some of them are bricks and mortar. Are they held at churches or schools or are they primarily associated with the actual Alzheimer's Association offices? We actually try to get them out into the community where people congregate. Um, Sometimes our offices aren't the easiest offices to get to. So they are in churches, they're in community centers, they're in other nonprofit organizations. We try to look for gathering points in different communities that will allow people to feel comfortable in gathering in that location. It's good. You know, one of the organizations I support is Wise and Healthy Aging in Santa Monica. Are you familiar with that? Absolutely. Grace Cheng Braun, yes. right? They do some wonderful work. And uh, one of the things I like, uh, one of the they have about 32 programs, quite a few. One I particularly am fond of is the peer-to-peer counseling. Uh, they have, uh, in most cases, it's older men, which is kind of interesting, mm-hmm. helping the other men. So they'll talk about a spouse dying. They'll sp- talk about dealing with Alzheimer's or dementia in the family. And it's people talking about their own personal experiences. They've had some professional training, but in so many cases, people want another person to talk to who's been through it. Absolutely. And I'm sure in your case, too, with the um, the lines that you have and the people, there are people who've had experience. You yourself has ha- have had some experiences. Mm-hmm. And do you mind telling us how you got into this field? Oh, my gosh. I've been a caregiver for family members since I was 16, oh. uh, both with a grandfather who was uh, had some physical impairments and then with two grandmothers and two aunts who had Alzheimer's disease or another form of dementia. Wow. So you've been uh, since 16 and you're still doing it. Some people would have left that and gone, you know, I'm going to go in an opposite direction. I felt the need to help families and address their questions before crisis occurred. Uh, I just felt that sense of loss and just 
being overwhelmed. You know, people say, well, ask questions if you need to ask questions. Like, I can't even formulate a question around this. Mm -hmm. So how do we get to families and link them to programs and services along the course of this journey Mm -hmm. rather than letting them flounder? And it's really coming to the realization that to address Alzheimer's and support those impacted, it needs to be everybody, every every discipline, every level of government. We all need to kind of come together to address this together. What about um, an average person who doesn't necessarily have a relative uh, who, who suffers from Alzheimer's? Um, one of the issues re- related to aging and depression is isolation and loneliness. And I think any one of us runs into older people. I know I live in a large apartment building with older people who like to sit like in the lobby and chat and have coffee at a Starbucks nearby. And I've often thought, maybe I should sit down and have a cup of coffee. Am I always in such a hurry that it's just a hello, how are you? Or should I spend 10 minutes learning about their story, what they're going to do today and, and kind of relieve that isolation I think, again, it's probably everybody. It's not just resting on your shoulders in the 10 minutes you're heading out. (laughs) But I think it's also kind of building the sense of community that we don't have as often as we do. And I often find that when I do stop and have those conversations, you are opened up to this individual's incredible, rich history that you never would have known otherwise. So I find that I benefit from some of those interactions probably more than the individual. Oh, I, I have no doubt. I think the stories are wonderful. And I guess the, the thought I was having is if each one of us did that, you know, for five minutes or 10 minutes with an older person that they know, we could be making a big impact. Uh, you know, it was Margaret Mead who said, never underestimate the impact, you know, a small group of people can have. And I think we often, particularly now with social media, forget how we can connect with people and even share best practices, if you will. And like you said, get a lot out of it at Mm -hmm. the same time. But let's talk about this notion of isolation. Does the Alzheimer's Association have any programs associated with socializing and getting people together? So we do offer programming around early stage engagement. So one of the biggest issues that we hear from both family caregivers as well as people living with the disease, especially in the early stages, that they're isolated. Um, They no longer maybe are working. Friends are calling less. So we arrange gatherings at really interesting locations, the Hammer Museum, Norton's Simon Museum, Uh and individuals can come together and get a docent-led tour. And usually during those docent-led tours, people become friends and they go out to lunch together. So it really addresses that social connectedness that many people feel that they're missing. So it's a no high-pressure engagement opportunity with other people. I know we uh, we have talked about this idea of refreshment and being able to connect with a group of people in, in another show. And it made me realize how important those kinds of opportunities are. But if you don't get out of the house, they don't happen. So right. this is a program you started as people were feeling this, some of the, the loneliness or mm-hmm. this isolation. I, I do know from other research that it's an important um, part of preventing other kinds of issues happening in your life. And in the case of uh, Alzheimer's and dementia, as we talked about, it won't prevent it, but it could slow it. Yes, could. you could help, to, you know, slow or reduce the risk for cognitive decline. Right, right. 
Well, Susan, I, you know, I think more about the volunteering opportunities and engagement. People, we've talked about how you can get engaged with the helpline as a caregiver or someone who's suffering from dementia or Alzheimer's. What about other people who'd simply like to volunteer? There are plenty of opportunities to, for individuals to engage in the mission and also to just this fight against Alzheimer's. We have a volunteer opportunity for everybody. Um, one would be advocacy. So we have advocates who talk to their local elected official, share their story, who go to Washington, D.C. or the state capitol. We also have individuals who are community educators. Oftentimes, going back to, it's important to have a peer-to-peer. So someone from the community educating community members about Alzheimer's, the risk factors, what's available. We have individuals who do data entry, who are greeters at our walks to end Alzheimer's. So if there's somebody who wants to join this mission, this fight, we have opportunities for them to engage with us. That's great. I think, you know, the advocacy is important because you want to have money and and policy directed to help uh, the Alzheimer's research and the care for people. Just as a note, I'll mention to people, I've done those trips for uh, United Way. And two things I want to tell people, it's not as scary as it sounds. Uh, They really want people, you want to be in the room with your representative, your congressperson from your area. It's much more palatable and they're more willing to listen. And the second thing is when you're there, they give you the talking points. Uh, They share with you the information, they prepare you. And uh, it's really an eye-opening experience to meet with the staffers and if you have the opportunity to meet with the senator or a congressperson. It's wonderful. So I'd I'd suggest people do this. I also know that once you start advocating, you really become a believer. Yes. And that's what you want, of course. What about on the fundraising side? If people would like to make a donation, they should go to the website? Absolutely. They can go to the website. We also have fundraising events. We have the Walk to End Alzheimer's, which usually occurs in the fall on the summer solstice. So coming up in June, we have the longest day. So individuals can create their own fundraiser to support caregivers on because every day is a long day for a caregiver. So that is the link with the summer solstice. I'll remember that for the summer solstice. That's great. I want to remind people that the helpline is available 24-7 in 200 languages, 800-272-3900, and then alz.org backslash SoCal. Yes. To get access to it. Well, you've been wonderful. Thank you so much for for being with us. This was has been a conversation with Susan Howland. She is the program director at the Alzheimer's Association for Southern California. I want to thank you for listening to us here on The Deciders. And just as a reminder, Fraser Communications is a full-service advertising and marketing communications firm that's available to help you with your digital or traditional advertising needs. If you have some interest in talking about how our skill set might help your business or your nonprofit grow, please feel free to contact us at FraserCommunications.com to learn more. And this show, The Deciders with Renee Fraser, is available on our website if you'd like to listen to that as a podcast. That is FraserCommunications.com. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful week ahead. This show is pre-recorded and furnished by Frasier Productions.